Would you please join me in prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Grant us, Lord, with a, a stillness of our souls in this moment and speak to us your words of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a great day to preach with your hair on fire if you're the senior pastor of St. John's Lutheran Church. It's just a great day to, 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 to preach with your hair going up and talk and thunder away and get on like a halftime speech of a high school football game to, to just get up and say, we're going to go, we're going to go, we're going to take that hill, we're going to go, we're going to go, but... As I was up at school this week pursuing work at Fuller Seminary, learning about lifelong leadership, I, I watched the TV, and I didn't have the big, huge TV I had at home. I had a little bitty TV like this, and even then, I could see and hear the unrest across the United States. I had a buddy who's a pastor in Augusta, Georgia, who had to fly home and preach this morning, uh, the week after his senior pastor left, and I thought, well, Mike, I've got it a whole lot easier than you do just driving down the 57 to a bunch of really super nice people in Southern California. I wrote this sermon series this last April, May after Easter, and I laid out the songs and laid out the things, and I thought I had really messed it up when I came to this one. I go, well, you, you have the musician set up, you have it all set, the liturgy set up, so don't change it. And then all the stuff of the world comes down. Be still and know that I am God, right? Be still. Maybe church is one of the last best places to be still. Even in the movie theater, we're called to kind of get up and clap and cheer and all of those things. And our Lord tells us it's okay to just kind of be still. To breathe in and breathe out, to breathe out the anxiety and the fear of life and to to breathe in and inhale the respirations of the spirit of the living God. And to find at a chaotic time, peace for our soul. So how's your soul this morning? How's it going in the very inside of who you are? As you sit in this holy space and reflect for a few moments, what's on your soul? Because I, I know what's on your mind. I, I know that dates and times and anxiety and fear, and I know it's on our minds, but what goes deeper into your soul? Where there's not really a lot of simple answers or simple things, but you rest in there. And Christ rests with you at the very core of your soul. Be still my soul. And maybe another question to ponder over the course of the next couple minutes is, how does the soul of our country? The United States of America has gone through a crazy two-year cycle. What is the soul of the United States? I've got a couple observations on that. It seems to me there are people in their country whose souls are very angry. They're really, really struggling to hold that anger in. And whenever there's an opportunity to kind of let that anger pop, it pops. 
and they protest and they throw things and people die and cars are driven into crowds and the most inane behavior is given to anger. They feel that maybe a piece of their lives have been taken away as if there's disorder and disharmony in their souls. And, 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 and so to act out on that anger when there's a venue for it, some people just, it's what they do. For others, there's a sense of political opportunity that, boy, if we put our wedge here and we hammer on that wedge in just the right place at the right way, we'll split and crack this whole culture, this whole country wide open. And people will look at one another with disdain. If we spew enough hateful rhetoric, if we do enough hateful things, we can rend the garment of our country. And I think that's a very few people. And I think there's a vast majority of people in our nation, me being one of them, that just kind of feels ill at ease. That's where I fit. I watch and I listen and I observe the culture. Reflect on the living that's to be lived and the lives given to us. Feel a little ill at ease. Not depressed or angry. Maybe sometimes a little sad. But life doesn't take a hiatus because my soul is ill at ease. I don't put my head down and kind of wait for everything to go away. And most of us don't do that either. Most of us engage in thoughtful dialogue with words of encouragement, with words of comfort and peace to those we love in our families. And most of us pray. Pray for the present. Pray for the future. And trust the Lord Jesus. My grandmother, who was a nurse at a mental hospital, don't ask me why every county in Wisconsin has a mental hospital, but they do. I actually think it has to do with the alcohol addiction that's prevalent in northern Wisconsin, but I'll preach on that on another Sunday. Grandma used to say after a particularly difficult way in the mental hospital, she would say, just remember this too will pass. And what she didn't mean was just kind of duck and get out of the way as things are flying. She meant that as thoughtful people love and care for one another, and as people take accountability for their words and actions, time has a way of moving on. But we deal with the issues of the day. In America, we deal with divisions and chaos and racism and the like. And we long for a new day of peace and quiet to simply live our lives in Jesus. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning verse 1, Paul gets us into a soulful piece of scripture. After preaching about joy and people and Christ and all of those things, he leads us into a, a marvelous understanding of, of, of how we're shaped and how the things of the past shape us for the present and the future. Life shapes life. Can you say that with me? Life shapes life. If you take nothing else out of this sermon, please take that our Lord uses our past to shape our life for the present and the future. 
Life shapes life. Meaning that where you've been kind of helps lead where you're at and where you're going to. And the road which you've come down in your life is slowly molding you and shaping you for the things where you're at and the things that are ahead. Life shapes us for life. And so Paul goes through in Philippians chapter 4, the four things that shape us. And one of those things is joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Wednesday is going to be a joyful day at St. John's Lutheran Church. We're going to open our school for the 141st year or something. It's amazing. Little people are going to come here. And it's fun to watch the little ones and it's fun to watch the old ones. Sorry, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth graders, but the seventh and eighth graders in the K-1s are hilarious. And that's where I get to see them. It's joyful, but sometimes it's hard. It's hard for the moms of the kindergartners, and I've preached this before, but it's just kind of fun to watch them, because I remember being there a hundred years ago, and the uniforms are a little big, and the, the little pants go over the knees, and, and the yellow shirts are yellow, they're not dirty, and the blue shirts are blue, they're not faded, and the little, they're just adorable. And the moms are freaking out. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> and we have little rules and little traditions so that the, the post-traumatic stress disorder that comes from saying goodbye to a five-year-old can be handled with a grande skinny vanilla latte down at the Starbucks and the thing. And my heart goes out to those moms because on the one hand, they rejoice that their children are well cared for, can be well educated. They got teachers that love them. They got the best facilities and the best stuff in the world. But it's hard. Maybe it's the first time they've let their child go for a whole day. So they cry and they struggle and they let go. But through that, joy is being built in the hearts and lives of those parents. Life shapes for life and the older ones are hilarious give me a kiss no way i'm out of here well could you shake my hand could you take a picture mom that's so second grade i'm not taking a picture i'm an eighth grader now and they just run to their kid their 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 class their student their teacher their their, they run to their spot they're ready to go they got it all figured out and the parent kind of sits in the car like wow where did those years go Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. We rejoice at the maturity and the growth. We rejoice in their friendships. We rejoice as our younger students go through the portal of kindergarten into into big boy school. And as our eighth graders go from the portal of St. John's into the portal of high school. There's always something to rejoice over no matter the context. As Christians called of God, the Lord shapes us to be joyful people. And we're shaped by prayer and thanksgiving as well. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. With prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. A gentleman came out of church after 8 o'clock. He said, you know, I'm 93. I thought, wow, 93. Well, you know, I'm 53. I'm 40 years younger than you. 40 years. One of the things that I get invited to more and more are birthday parties for people who are in their 80s or 90s. Isn't that fantastic? I just think that's the coolest thing in the world. 
And they have cake and do it like real people. I mean, it's fantastic. It's just great. Do you realize someone celebrating a 90th birthday this year was born in 1927? Whoa! That's a long time ago. They were two years old when the stock market crashed in 1929. They were 14 years old when World War II started. They were 18 at the end of World War II. They were 42 in 1969 at the bloodiest apex of Vietnam combat. They were 45 or so at Watergate and 85 at the Great Recession. Life shapes us for life. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving, make your request to God. Prayer and gratitude remain stabilizing habits in the life of every 90-year-old person that I know. God used the anxiety and the, and the stressors of the past to steal them and us for the pressures of the present and the stillness of their souls, having gone through all of the things that they've been through, is something that makes our community at St. John's rich beyond compare. For we do not worship the, the youth of, of the culture and, and we do not castigate the, the seasoned people, but we live in bands of generations and we come together on a Sunday morning. And the 93-year-old says, it's not so bad. I've seen worse. As the young man leaving for college says, I'm really afraid. All things with prayer and thanksgiving, with gratitude, make your requests known to God. Prayer and thanksgiving are habits. Gratitude. See, when you have a soul that's filled with rancor, it's really hard to be grateful. Because you're thinking about the next thing you've got to do. And the next thing ain't be grateful. There are marvelous prayers called the prayers of examine that when you go to bed at night, you slowly work your way back through the day. I thank you, God, that you gave me breath at 545 in the morning and that I could have coffee with my wife and that we had jobs to go to and that I had a great lunch with that fabulous couple and they even picked up the bill and that in the afternoon. You gave an opportunity to meet with somebody to encourage them in their faith and life. And then the evening, you brought our family together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the blessings that I have. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens by habit. That instead of looking and saying, woe is me, we look and say, I am blessed. And through the course of a lifetime, gratitude has a marvelous way of removing anxiety and shaping us for life now and in the future. Prayer and thanksgiving, one is the hand and one is the glove. Pray at all times and in all occasions and I will give you peace, the Lord says. Peace. I don't know about everyone in the world, but I kind of like peace. We are shaped by peace. We have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. God came down 
at a difficult time and in a chaotic moment in the history of the world, in the nuttiest place he could have possibly came down in, in Jerusalem, of all the nutty places, where the religion and the politics and the ethnicities and all of the stuff was in this marvelous mixed up little piece of geography. But in that anxious moment, he brought us peace with God. Peace that comes through forgiveness of sins. Peace that comes through speaking kindness and forgiveness into broken souls and broken lives. We have peace with God through the death of Christ on the cross. And that's one piece of peace that we can never erase and one that God never goes back on. We have peace with God. And we have peace from God. I don't look out and think, well, God is so angry. If I preach a bad sermon today, God's going to strike me with lightning. I might get a few nasty cards in the pew, but so what? I get those every week. It's not a problem. We have peace with one another. We have peace as we sing and our souls are still. We have peace as we kind of nudge one another in the pews. And as the church is full this morning, we look at one another and go, huh, school's coming back. There's peace in our voices. There's peace in our tone. There's peace in our relationships. There's peace in our families. Because peace with God through faith in Christ leads to peace from God to share one with another. You have that peace. You and me, we don't understand it because it's transcendent. But our souls are formed and shaped by the peace of Christ. Be still, my soul. And then the last piece Paul says, do it and think it, or think it and do it. The habit and the practice of thinking pure thoughts and doing good things. I love that. And I love the idea that we've been shaped and formed for that. I think of my son who's worshiping over in the auditorium this morning with his wife. And, and I think of where he's come from. I remember when we dropped him off at preschool and we thought he was going to die or we were going to die or something. He had a little blonde hair and blue eyes, a little step haircut around the thing, which was really vogue in the early, 1900, uh, early 1990s. <laughs> And he learned the lessons of preschool. And he learned to love Jesus. He went into kindergarten. We thought he was such a big boy. First and second, all the way through. He gets to middle school and his mouth gets disconnected from his brain. <laughs> and you got to do some pretty heavy parenting there to keep him moving along. So big when he moved from eighth grade into high school. Played football at Orange Lutheran like Ethan and all of those guys. Then he graduated and went to college. And I thought, huh, that's pretty cool. And I watched him mature and grow and all of that. I watched the parenting and the pieces that we had sown in his life take root and grow. Through easy things and hard things. Through simple conversations with dad and very direct conversations and discipline with dad. And then finally standing there in March, 
say, I will marry you, take you as my wife. And from preschool through life, he was shaped for all the challenges that were before him. God didn't take him as a kindergartner and then drop him into his wedding and say, good luck, big guy. Rather, through all of those seasons of life, he was maturing and growing as indeed each and every one of us from beautiful baby Brooks to my 90-year-old friend shaped and molded by thinking pure thoughts and doing good things and putting into practice faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus said, you are the city on a hill. Jesus delivers what we need as a community of faith today. And St. John's delivers into the community the love and grace that the community needs in a chaotic time. And the church of the West, of Europe and the United States, we need to deliver that peace of Christ by thinking pure thoughts and doing good things because that's what God's people do when things are crazy. At least that's our history. You see, when our ancestors were in Egypt, that's what they did. When our ancestors were in Babylon, that's what they did. That's what Christ did when he lived and died. It's our calling for our teachers in the classrooms as those doors swing open on Wednesday. The students need what the teachers have. It's our calling for each and every one of us as we move from the sanctuary, having been shaped by the gospel, to bring the gospel to bear in life. And the peace of God will be with you. And the peace of God will be with you. Be still. Be still my soul. Amen.